All right, good morning, Calvary Church. It is great to be able to share God's word with you again. My name is Eric Wakeling, pastor here at Calvary Church, and we are continuing in this series called Hold On to Jesus. And we are needing to do that. And today, the specifically, the title of this sermon is to take Jesus seriously, because this is a serious passage of scripture. It's pretty intense. It's pretty hard. So I encourage you as we get into this that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus and who he is and preparing our hearts. Even for a little bit later, we're going to be taking communion. And so I encourage you, if you haven't even got elements ready for that yet, grab some stuff right now uh, so that at the end of this sermon time, we're able to participate in remembering the shed blood of Jesus and him giving his body for us. So within this, uh, you know, this whole thing of take Jesus seriously, before we read the passage, this passage, like I said, it's a pretty intense warning. It's kind of like, I don't know if you saw the old movie or uh, the new TV series of Scared Straight or Beyond Scared Straight. And it's this whole thing where they take these young people, these kids who are starting to get into trouble. They've maybe committed some sort of more minor crimes and then they bring them into prison. And then they have these people who are these people who've been in prison for a long time, maybe even have life sentences and they are just screaming at them and scaring them, giving them this whole experience of what it's like to be in prison. And they're trying to scare them straight. This, this passage of scripture is a little bit like that. Okay, that, that's, there's this trying to show the intensity of what it is to reject Jesus. I remember when I was a kid, there was a movie that they used to do this. And it was this old 70s movie called A Thief in the Night. So if you were a kid, a Christian kid, maybe in the 70s or 80s, I was watching this more in the early 80s. But it was this whole movie about what it would be like during the tribulation. So after the rapture and then the world would just be in chaos and persecution and all these horrible things happening. If you had, were left behind for the tribulation, it was kind of like a scary movie, old time version of the movie Left Behind, if you've seen that even. But it was just like so scary. Like I remember my, my wife telling me she had nightmares about it and stuff like that, where like youth groups or Christian schools would try to scare their kids into believing. And I don't I don't necessarily always think that's the, the best way to go about this kind of stuff. And I don't even think the New Testament even really does this that often. But there's a couple spots where they're kind of laying it out. They're coming in hot. They're coming in fierce with this message of, of, of warning. And even last week we had kind of this appeal to an appropriate response. So it was this appeal to, that we would have an appropriate response to the message of, of Jesus and all that he's done. And it was even so hopeful of encourage one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds and all of that. And even next week, it's, it's very hopeful again. But this week, it is tough. This week, it's hard. And so even within that, I want to make sure that we remind ourselves of a couple verses in Hebrews 10 that come before this. So we'll be in Hebrews 10, 26 in a moment, but it's important to read Hebrews 10, 14 first. It says, for by one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That we are perfected for all 
time, that this, what Je- the work that Jesus has done for us lasts forever. There's no losing your salvation. There's no going back on his promises. And then verse 17 even says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That Jesus will not remember our sins. Jesus will forget what we have done and that he sees us as clean and as perfect. And so we remember that then as we get right back into it, actually, of Hebrews 10, 26. So here's the passage that we have today. It says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth. So that just means, I want you to even hear this here as we first read this. Like, this doesn't mean as a person that has followed Jesus, a person that has expressed their belief and has received the gift of salvation and is now has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them and, and they are now part of God's family. No, it just means after hearing the message of truth of Jesus, of who he is. So if you've heard that and reject it, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Verse 27, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So what this is saying is in the Old Testament times under the Jewish law, or even as these people are hearing this, what, what's going on in, within the Jewish people and their culture is that if you disobey the law of Moses willingly, and there's a testimony of two or three witnesses, then your consequences, you'll be put to death. There's a death penalty for that. And so then in verse 29, the author says, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of God? has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's God, by the way, that said that. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So you can see that is a pretty rough passage. It is, a, it is a hard warning. And this is coming to these people. And what we have to remember is it's these people that are hearing this are these Jewish believers who are wavering in their faith. They're thinking about going back to the old way. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Going back to the old way is not an option. Don't take that even as, that's not even an option for you. If we reject Christ, this is what it is. So, Here's the thing, you are, the first point in this for us here is, you are responsible for what you know. If you are hearing this message right now, you are responsible for what you are hearing from God and from his word. And it had this part that says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. 
And so I want you to understand a couple things about this verse. Okay, one is that this is not about Christians struggling with sin. This is about those who have heard the message of Jesus and reject him and reject him willingly. Because check this out, there's this whole thing about the, the Old Testament law and this, this sin offering that was given. Okay, so in this Old Testament law, the sin offering, which was the central sacrifice for covering sins, this was for sins that were committed ignorantly or unwillingly. It's not something that we often think about when we think about these sins, that, or we think about these offerings. These offerings were to cover the sins that we didn't sort of realize or mean to commit. And so it really, it wasn't about those sins that we deliberately do or willingly do. If you want to read a little bit more about that and kind of get into where it is, it's in Leviticus 4, it's in Numbers 15. But if people sinned deliberately, willingly, knowing that something was wrong and choosing to do it anyway, there was no sacrifice prescribed for that. It says there to be cut off from your people, which, which what that meant then was a death sentence. Okay, so these people were to be put to death if they completely and intentionally disregarded God's law. And so all that, all that background is in mind as the author of Hebrews then is saying, as he launches into this intense warning, all of that background is in mind as he says, you want to leave this whole thing about Jesus and go back to the old way? Do you realize in that old way, there was no sacrifice that would cover your willful sin? There was no sacrifice for that. And so you want to go back to that system? This is actually about how great Jesus is. Jesus is so awesome and wonderful and the, the gift of his sacrifice is so beautiful because his sacrifice even covers your deliberate sin. His sacrifice covers your willful sin in addition to your ignorant sin or your unwilling sin. So why would you ever want to leave this way that is so much better? And so, yeah, there's a bit of this scared straight thing in here, but it's also this display of how great the gift of Jesus is. This new covenant, this new way is so much better than the old way. Why would you ever go back? Why would you ever go back to that? But someone who has heard the gospel... The gospel message of Jesus as Messiah, the Savior, the one whose sacrifice was once and for all. You've heard about this and you reject it. That's what there is no sacrifice for. That is not covered. And if you do that to reject Christ, it says then, is to trample, profane, and insult God. And even in verse 27, before we kind of get into those three specific things, in verse 27 has got that whole part of this terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. All of that part, that's this whole thing. It is a, it's a quote of Isaiah 26.11, where it's trying to show them in the context of that story, there were these righteous ones and these wicked ones. And it's trying to show that these righteous ones were the ones following the ways of God and the wicked ones were persisting in doing evil in spite of God's grace 
for them. And so then there's this whole fury of fire thing. And whenever we see this fury of fire, like in this part, it's like this allusion to this other Old Testament story. And that's what we always try to remember in Hebrews. It's all kind of going back and pointing to these Old Testament stories. But of these people that were following Korah and this guy really like he rebelled against God. He rebelled against Moses. And within that rebellion, then it says the earth consumed him and fire fell upon them from heaven. And so our God is a consuming fire. We read that. That's where this is what happened. That to remember that God will not stand for open rebellion against him. And so then it goes into this whole thing of these three ways that we can sort of like reject Christ. Or these three things that happen when we reject Christ. So let's look over to this verse in Hebrews 10, 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And when we reject Christ, we reject him. This is what we're doing. We're trampling underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. These are strong, strong words of the things that take place when we reject Christ that uh, you can just kind of see them listed here, that we trample the Son of God underfoot. This author of Hebrews has taken all this time through this whole book to be able to express the supremacy of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, how awesome Jesus is and how beautiful his sacrifice is for us. And then for us to then see all of that supremacy of who he is and then to do anything that would trample underfoot the Son of God. How could we ever even think that we would want to do that? And he says that when we reject him as well, it is like profaning the blood of Jesus as unclean. This, this whole thing of regarding his blood, this, this amazing shed blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus' blood was shed for us. Even a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, Tim Nellis and Matt Doan were preaching this whole message just on that shed blood of Christ and how amazing that gift is. And then we would say that that is unclean. That even in that Jewish context then, this is like to say this is not something that can even be near us as people. Get it out of our city. Get it out of our area. It needs to go away from us. Get it away from us. To treat it like that, like we would a leper or someone, a, a leper or a prostitute. These sorts of ways that, that w things that would be considered unclean. And that someone would take the shed blood of Jesus and treat it that way. To reject Christ is to do that. In a moment, we're going to take communion, like we said, to remember the shed blood of Jesus and to think about how in that moment that you would just, just, just treat it like it's trash. Man, that is nowhere, nowhere that we want to be. And again, and then the, the third thing he says is to insult the spirit of grace, the very Holy Spirit of God that gives us this mercy that we don't deserve and that we would insult that very spirit. I mean, imagine if you, if you were going to give the greatest gift that you've ever given. I mean, think about the best 
gift that you ever got for somebody. I mean, it's the kind of gift that you just know this person so well. You know their deepest desires, their greatest needs. You know their, their biggest hopes that they have. And you know everything about them. And then you go out and you just find the ultimate gift and it's going to cost you a lot. This isn't just some cheap and easy gift and you can't Amazon it. I mean, you got to go out and, and find it somewhere and bring it back and it comes at great cost to you and you wrap it beautifully and you're so excited to give this wonderful gift to someone and you come and you bring it to them and they just slap it out of your hand and walk away. That's what this passage is trying to say that rejecting Christ is doing into the face of God. And so he's trying to get these people that are, that are already believers to get it. Like the way they're thinking. He's not saying you can actually lose your salvation. He's just saying the way you're thinking is like in line with this. The way of going back to Judaism. The way of going away from God's way that he has. This beautiful new way that's in Jesus. To go back would be like trampling underfoot the Son of God and regarding the blood of Jesus as unclean and to insult the very Holy Spirit of God. And so grace is a free and beautiful gift that he has for all of us. And it's available to you. But to reject that gift results in terrifying judgment, vengeance, and fury of fire. And so... This is a, a very serious message. And that's why I've called it to take Jesus seriously. And I ask you, do you take Jesus seriously today? And you're hearing this message and you might be a lifelong believer. You've believed in Jesus for many years. You might be a new believer, but you might be someone who is just hearing all of this for the first time. And so what I wanna ask you today is what will you do with the truth that you are now hearing. You see, no matter who you are, you are hearing the message of Jesus today. You are hearing the message of the gospel that Jesus is God and Jesus came to earth to live as a human being and he lived a perfect life. And that there is a sacrifice required for sin and over and over again in the Old Testament, an animal had to be sacrificed over and over again to cover our sins. But Jesus came and he lived the perfect life as the son of God himself. And when he willingly went upon the cross and died for your sin, for mine, his blood that was shed paid the price for your sin. And he died, but then on the third day he rose again in victory and power over sin and death. And because at that point he showed his strength, his power, that he is God and he has defeated sin, he has defeated death, and now he offers you something that is free for you but cost him very much, cost him his life. And he says, I give you this grace that you don't deserve, but I give it to you anyway. Just receive it. Believe in me and receive this free gift. You've heard this truth now. What will you do with the truth that you are now hearing? Because you see, this passage that we're looking at today is part of, in line with some other scriptures, of why we believe in a literal hell. That hell is a real place. That hell is a place that we are separated from the very presence of God. And 
you know, within the scriptures, there's a lot of these allusions to fire and, and burning and these sorts of things that might even just be imagery. But no matter what, hell is a place where you are separated from the presence of God. You are outside of the presence of God. That we live in this world that we live in, it is filled with the presence of God. The presence of God dwells within believers. The presence of God is, you're able to kind of see and experience that and the beauty of his creation. And to just be ripped apart from that. No matter what we believe hell is like, if weeping and gnashing of teeth is part of it, we are outside of God's presence. That's not a place that I want to be. And belief in hell is a growingly unpopular belief. And it's not one that I'm particularly wanting to believe in or excited to believe in. But I do believe in that. And I would want to spend my eternity in the presence of God and in the glory of God. And in that state of being forgiven and receiving his grace rather than outside of it. And so I want to encourage you today to consider what will you do with the truth that you are now hearing because there will come a time when the living God will bring his just and wise rule to bear fully and finally upon the entire world. And on that day, on that day is 2,000 years of church tradition is all like is all in agreement upon those who willingly willfully stand against his rule, you will be judged. You will be judged by God. And here within this passage, we see the way he approaches that. And that he's giving you the beauty of grace and this gift, but you can reject it. You can reject it. And that's part of even the free will that God has given us. And that's part of the gift of what it is that God would not have someone spend eternity with him that does not want to. And so I encourage you today with how much the author is showing how eternally serious this is. This isn't just something to mess around with and say, well, one day, one day I'll come around to believing in Jesus. Maybe I'll wait for my deathbed. Maybe I'll wait till later after I've done these things that I want to do. No, today is the day to take this message seriously that Jesus has offered you his sacrifice that was once and for all. And what will you do with it? And so there's a few different kinds of people out there and ways that we need to respond. If you are hearing this and you have never responded to tell Jesus that yes, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you died and rose again. And I believe that you have given me this gift of salvation. And yes, Lord, I want to receive your grace and your forgiveness. This is your chance to respond now. To respond with, yes, I believe. Or no, I don't. But you're faced with that response right now. And so I'd encourage you, if you want to choose to respond yes to Jesus, just tell him. Just tell him. It doesn't have to be in fancy words. Just, yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died and rose again, and I need your forgiveness. Just tell him. You could turn this whole thing off right now. It would be the best thing you could do. Just shut this whole thing down and talk to Jesus about that decision. It is the most important thing that you could do in your entire life. 
and you can do it right now. I encourage you with that. We want to walk alongside you in that. So we'd love to hear from you just because we want to we help you. We want to walk with you. So do it right now. Talk to him. And if you're somebody, though, that has believed, you already believe in Jesus, we have some ways to respond as well. We have some ways to, to pray and to share. We pray for the people in our lives and in our neighborhoods that don't know Jesus. Why? Because we love them. We love God and we want them to have this grace that we have. We don't want all of this, this negative stuff that's part of this passage. We don't want that for them. You know, I've even had people kind of like talk to me when I've shared about our church with our vision of each one, reach one, that we want each one of us to reach somebody for Jesus Christ. And we're praying every day for that. We pray every day at 10.02 that God would send workers into the harvest to take that message out. God, send me. God, give me courage. Give me a heart for that. Give me opportunities for that. And give me the words to say in that moment. That's the kind of prayer we pray every day. And I've had people be like, oh, Eric, you know, I know you're just, you're doing all this because you're just trying to grow our church. And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm trying to grow our church with people that ne- did not know Jesus, people that were bound for an eternity apart from him and now do know him and are bound for, for an eternity with him in his glory and his goodness and his grace. And that's what I want for everybody desperately. And that's the will of the Father, God, as well. So I pray that you would join me in prayer for that. That we would pray and go in our neighborhoods, pray for that. This whole thing that we're doing called Pray and Go, this initiative to saturate our neighborhoods with prayer. This is why. And that we can't just pray, we also have to share. To share the message of the gospel with those that God has placed in our lives. That is our call. And we have to do it because it's so real and it's so serious. And so my heart and prayer is that you would take Jesus seriously. Whether you've known him all your life, whether you've been following him for years, or whether you're hearing this message for the first time right now. To take Jesus seriously and respond to him. And we have a chance even right now to respond to him. And it is as we participate in communion, which communion is to remember and give thanks for Jesus giving his body for us and shedding his blood for us. The bread representing his body given for us upon that cross. And the juice in the cup representing his shed blood for us. That this was the once and for all sacrifice that covers us forever. It covers all of our sin, willful, unwilling, ignorant, deliberate. All of our sin is covered. And so we remember it. And I want us today to to take this sacrifice seriously. That I believe that what we are doing, and the scriptures talk about, like I said, is we remember. It's what Jesus has called us to do. He said, remember me. Remember what I have done for you, he says to his disciples at that last supper moment. Make this part of your regular routine. It's a sacrament, one of the most core sacraments that we have to remember what he has done. And so his shed blood, may we not profane it, may we not regard it as unclean, but may we remember it. 
And then even at this moment is called the Eucharist, it is, which simply in Greek means to give thanks, to say thank you to God for. And I also believe, like uh, our, our tradition, what we believe is that this blood or this, this wine or juice and this bread, this, we don't believe that this becomes the literal flesh and blood of Jesus as maybe some traditions would. But I have to believe that something more is going on than just remembering and giving thanks. It's not just a object lesson. And I can't totally explain all that's happening, but it, it, there's something supernatural happening with how core that Jesus wanted this to be in our lives, that there's something happening between God and us in the unseen realm that we don't fully understand but something beautiful, it doesn't save us, it doesn't do that kind of work, but there's something beautiful and spiritual that's happening in this moment. So let's take this moment as sacred. Let's take this moment as spiritual. And so I encourage you with whatever you're using to take the bread and hold on to it now and look at that bread. And as you look at it to reflect, on Jesus' body given for you. And we remember the words that were said, and I read from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, that last supper moment, right before he was about to die, he took bread, it says. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he passed, it, he passed it out to his disciples, his friends. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here is my body, Jesus says. It's for you. Let's remember him and give thanks as we eat it together right now. Then it says, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. <coughs> Excuse me. This cup is the new covenant, the new way. This new way that Hebrews is talking about, not the old way. This cup is the new way and the new covenant is in my blood, he says. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's remember Jesus as we drink from this cup. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your shed blood for us that covers our sin, the sins we mean to do, the sins we didn't mean to do. God, you've covered all of it. And you've covered it forever and you don't remember them anymore, it says in your word. Lord, and we 
say, we remember right now that this came at great cost to you. This was not cheap, even though it's free for us. And so Lord, I pray for those of us who do believe that we would recognize the cost. Lord, and we would also recognize that our mission to pray and go and reach others for your kingdom, Lord, is so serious and so vitally important for each soul. These people that we love in our lives, God, may you inspire and empower us through your spirit to reach them for you. And God, I pray for those that are watching and listening that don't know you, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would grab them right now and hold them and embrace them and let them know how much you love them and you desire for them to be with you forever. And may they simply express to you now their belief in you, God, and that they receive this gift you offer. So as we continue to worship you, Lord, as we sing, may we recognize that you are our only hope. All of our hope is in you because you have died, but you also rose again and you are alive. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together now.